Hello and welcome to the Lib Dem podcast and we have a very special podcast today because we have some guests who will be joining us throughout. Not only have we got the wonderful Lisa Smart, but returning for her second stint on the podcast is Alison Bennett. Hello Alison. Hi John. We've just done our fantastic uh, episode hosted by Hannah Kitchen of Mark Pack, the party president, Ed Davey, the leader, and Mike Dixon, the CEO of the Lib Dems, all talking about not only their assessments of last year, but what they think going forward. And Lisa, you've—we'll go to you first because you've been doing this the longest. What was your what was your immediate reaction to what they said? It was it was very positive, but actually there were some really interesting little nuggets in there. There were, and I was very happy to have had the opportunity to prime Hannah with some of those questions that she asked. So um, I work with all three of them, and I was genuinely interested to hear the three of them speaking together. It was encouraging, I guess, as a Lib Dem member, encouraging to hear the overlap, because I think had they been saying three completely different things, that would have been somewhat troubling. So they agreed on much, but with different nuance, as you would expect, because they have different jobs, they have different mandates. It was encouraging for the future, though, for me as a Lib Dem member who wants to see more Liberal Democrats elected. Anything for, is that the same for you, Alison, or was there anything really surprising in there that you weren't expecting? There are a couple of things that were quite reassuring. I found it reassuring that Mike um, struggles with briefing people in the right order, and it's not just me that experiences that. That was, uh, that was quite good. And then Mark made a comment about um, members who are so small C conservative in their attitudes to kind of process, but incredibly radical in their attitudes to policy. Uh, and I appreciated that comment too. So I think it was interesting, the, the dynamic between the three of them as well, because actually, and, and one of the questions I, I, it was my question at the end is, which one would you rather double, the membership, uh, the MPs or the donations? Because I thought, because each of them, that's really each of their kind of remits. I, and I was, obviously Ed Davies said MPs, completely understand. I, I think when we discussed that question before we went live, I think everyone thought, oh, surely it's MPs. But it was quite interesting that Mike said, and Mike made a very interesting point. He didn't just say members, he said active members. If, if so that, and actually Mark, although was going to go with donations, actually went with members as well, which is which is really interesting. And I would have thought MPs being, you know, the kind of the spokespeople for our party, that would have been the thing that I've gone for. Were you surprised by that, either of you? They gave complimentary answers, I thought, and I, Mike's distinction between members and active members was an important one because we can have all the members in the world, but if, if, they, if they choose to be passive members, which of course they're entitled to do, we're not going to get that campaigning done, we're not going to get those Lib Dems elected, we're not going to change the lives of our communities that we seek to do. So I thought it was interesting that they had complimentary answers. And I thought the thinking behind it was really interesting. The only one I wasn't shocked by at all was Ed's, as you rightly say, of course, he wanted to double as the leader of the parliamentary party. Of course, he wanted double uh, to double the size of his team in, in the Commons. Of course, he did. Yeah. I mean, when you talk to members, one of the bits of feedback you get really often is, oh, we don't get enough airtime and we're not on the news enough. and We don't get the seats on question time. But of course, the way to get that is to get more MPs elected. And the way you get more MPs elected um, is through having active members. Um, so rather than the members sort of grumbling that we're not getting that profile, key is to get out there um, and add to that active team. And before I go any further, I want to just talk about active members and winning because there was a by-election success 
last night as well. So this was, I've, I've just looked it up in case I'll probably get it wrong. So we've got, it's Gedling uh, Borough Council, where we've taken a seat off the Labour Party, which actually comes into one of the other questions that came up a lot from listeners, particularly listeners who are based in the northwest and, well, basically not Tory facing down south. Is that answer of what we do about uh, Labour areas? Obviously, I think everyone, I don't think anyone's particularly surprised that most of our battles are Tory facing at the next general election. But the fact is, we can't just ignore those Labour areas, not because it's places like Preston or places wherever it might be where it's important to scrutinise what Labour's doing, but actually, as I think, I can't remember who said it, it might have been uh, Mark Pack said, you know, the wheel of politics will turn and so, and we've got to be in a position where Labour might be in power at some point and you've got to be able to capitalise. So that I found that really interesting. But congratulations to that team up, in, uh, up or down. No, it's definitely down from Preston. So I don't know where Cavendish is. Anyone know where Cavendish is? Nottingham, I think, isn't it? Is it? Oh, absolutely cracking way to start 2022 with the first by-election of the year resulting in a Lib Dem win from Labour. It's lovely, lovely stuff. And uh, and I suppose uh, to all our uh, listeners, you know, not to not to bum you out on a on an on a early January thing, but it isn't far away from local elections in May. And uh, so people like Leagsa has a. I know you've got a campaign launch coming up, ready for your local elections. Certainly our local elections here. And if you don't have local elections, because there was a big set last year, try and help some of the local parties that um, that are having local elections, even if it means you have to do a, a little bit of tra- travelling to get there. If you can help a local party that's having elections, you can make a big difference. And there's a really there's a great opportunity as well to have some reciprocal arrangements, because if, say, you're a county and you're near, I don't know, a Met, and counties sometimes have their elections on the off year, on the fallow year for the Met, you can go and learn stuff, uh, help out a, a, a neighbouring local party, neighbouring local team, and then when you've got elections, they can come back and help you. And that is just a lovely reciprocal arrangement that this year could be a great opportunity to start one of those. We, uh, I suppose actually what we I should also point out is before we start getting into the nuts and bolts of those things, obviously the news of uh, the, uh, there's been a death in the Parliamentary Labour Party. So is it Jack uh, Dromey has, has sadly passed away. Uh, so that was obviously a, a Birmingham MP, Harriet Harman's husband, um, so that is obviously very sad to hear, and obviously you wouldn't want to wish it on anybody, particularly just after the festive period. Hello, John from the Lib Dem podcast here. We are delighted to say that this episode is sponsored by Prater Rains. Now more than ever, you need a professional-looking online presence and website. Prater Rains have been helping Liberal Democrat campaigns succeed for 18 years. Their Lib Dem Foci package combines a website, social media and email system to help Lib Dems win. You'll receive great support from real people, fair pricing and a huge range of features to choose from. Prater Reigns are already the bespoke developers for Lighthouse, Lib Dem Draw Online and the LD Directory. They combine a talented system design with an unrivaled understanding of our party, our data and our systems. To find out more, check out the Prater Reigns website at praetorains.co.uk slash liberal-democrats. Talking about Labour, were you what was were you surprised about anything they said about Labour? How that, you know, there was there's always chat about progressive alliance, there always is, but actually they were very much saying, look, you've got to still take the fight to Labour in areas so they don't get complacent. Is that how you took that, Alison? 
Yeah, I mean, Labour in, so I'm in Mid-Sussex, um, for those people that don't know, and Labour here have almost no presence. Um, they've, they've got no councillors elected in my district, but they do have some pockets of strength across the county. Um, they're doing really well in Worthing and Crawley's been an area of strength for them. And that's a Labour conservative marginal, um, sort of not too far away from us. Um, but, you know, I wouldn't underestimate them and I would, you know, and what they're doing in Worthing is really interesting. And what you've got there is it's, a, it's near Brighton, which is a big kind of green labour marginal area. And basically because Brighton's an incredibly expensive place to live, people have moved out, moved east and west along the coast. And that's changed the politics. Um, historically, Worthing's always been a very, very safe, conservative area. And actually, at the next general election, there's a very real chance that uh, Labour could take um, the Worthing seat of Tim Lawton. Hmm. What are your thoughts? Because uh, you're in a mixed bag, Lisa. You have a Labour-facing council, uh, or they're your main opposition in, in, at Stockport Council, yet Tory MPs. So how how is your opinion on what we should be like with Labour? And, or what, what are your opinion on what Labour's going to be like in 2022? You're right. There's a minority Labour administration in Stockport, but we're a very finely balanced council. So we, as Lib Dems, are actually the largest group, but the Labour Party run it because the Tories voted to keep them in. And that relationship between the Conservatives and Labour, I think, helps explain what politics is like in Stockport, because none of them are fight. They don't fight one another. They fight us everywhere. So whether it's for a local election or a general election, we're the enemy. They are not the enemy to one another locally in Stockport. And that, that helps explain things a little bit. So for me, um, I think it depends where you are in the country. So if you were to say to our colleagues in, I don't know, Sunderland, that Labour are absolutely our friends and we should be striking up progressive alliance arrangements left, right and centre, I'm not sure you, you get a lot of a hearing. Whereas in other parts of the country where there isn't as stark a difference in the individuals who become party members in those areas and the way they behave and the way they conduct themselves. There are some people who, for them, just getting rid of the Tories is the only thing that matters and they don't really care who else it is. We've talked about progressive alliances on the pod many times and I think I'm, I'm on the record many times in saying it just it, they don't work. Um, the evidence suggests that they don't work and the best thing to do is to target your resources properly. So look at where you can win and target your resources to, to win. The other thing I'd say is if you look at lots of councils and you mentioned the north of England, I'd also say large parts of, of Wales and indeed some parts of Scotland, the neglect that we talk about from Tories and the way that people are being taken for granted, the way that they're not being listened to, you can multiply that by a factor of 28 in, in lots of places and look at some Labour councils where they've been Labour since the dawn of time. You can put a red rose out on a farmyard animal and it gets elected to the local council. And it's people are crying out for better representation. And so I think it's our duty as Liberal Democrats to stand a candidate because our Lib Dem candidate, on, on their worst day, a Lib Dem candidate would do a better job than 99.9% .9 of Labour candidates. And it really matters that people have the opportunity to vote for a Liberal Democrat. I know if I moved and I moved to an area where there weren't Lib Dems and the, there was no Lib Dem on the ballot paper come election time, I'd be gutted and I wouldn't know what to do. And I wouldn't um, say, oh, well, the Lib Dems have stood down so the, the choice is obvious. 
it's, it's it's not up to a political party where my vote goes or where anybody's vote goes. It's up to the voter to own their vote and put the cross in the box that they see best represents them of the available choice. But I'm a, a passionate advocate for always standing a Liberal Democrat candidate unless there are truly, truly exceptional circumstances. Was, do you think Mike's... Mike talked about mistakes in that episode and losing the trust of local parties on some of the decision-making from HQ. Do you think that's in referral to some of these deals where where Lib Dems were asked to step down or or be part of the, the um, I can't remember what it's called, Unite to Win, was it, or something like that it was called? Unite think, to Remain, it was called. Unite to Remain, that's right. Um, and I think that was, and that's some of the things we, it's very easy to say, oh yeah, just step down, don't worry about it. But if you've been working your rocks off for X amount of years to try and get somewhere to say, look, would you mind just stepping down for the Greens? It's a very, it can be a quite tough thing to swallow. It can, and it, you look at the impact on or the, the shadow that it casts rather than the impact. You look at the shadow that it casts for later years and for future local elections. And I won't name the places, but you look at some local parties who were strong, thriving. Arrangements were made where we didn't stand a candidate in the general election. That gave other parties a leg up. And it's it's really, really hard to to cope with the aftermath of that. Yeah. My observation about progressive alliances is about how you make it sustainable. So you could have one party stand aside for another party in the general election and maybe the party that stood gets elected. But then are you always saying that at the next cycle and the next cycle and the next cycle, they need to not stand? How do you, how do we, you know, as Liberal Democrats, make sure we've got a campaigning machine that can keep repeating that success? So really, we need to look to ourselves to be active and out there rather than relying on the votes from coming from other parties. And I think, as Lisa said, we've talked about progressive alliances a lot, uh, as particularly as as the end of last year t- came about and there were and there were by-elections and everything else. And don't forget, a lot of people would say, North Shropshire, we probably should have stood down if you, you take that logic to its nth degree and look what happened there. Um, but let's just think about Labour for the time being and Tory, because obviously there's lots of, there's lots of Lib Dem seats we want to fight, want to grow, etc. How do we, and, and I'm, I'm interested by the by-election that's now going to happen in Birmingham, about where we think and how the two parties, those two parties will do, because that seat in Birmingham has a three and a half thousand Labour majority over the Conservatives. Reform uh, UK or, or got a, you know, not Reform UK, as a Brexit party, beg your pardon, will have got um, a thousand odd votes at the last election. So even with that, the Tories wouldn't have won. Um, but do we think this is, the Tories will jump at this opportunity? Do you think, or do you think the Tories are just thinking, though they're in such a crisis mode that they don't really want to pick any more fights? Or would you think they'll grab this and think, right, this is a, a chance for us to, to change the narrative and get Tories back on the winning ways? What are your thoughts? I think you have to want to take a, an opportunity if it presents itself. I don't know enough about the demographics of the seat. I don't know enough about the infrastructure that both parties have, have got in, in that seat to be able to give terribly useful commentary. But I think it, as often it depends on local factors. But if you're a political party that says, oh, no, I'm going to let this opportunity pass me by, you're not going to do as much winning as one that says there is a, a chink uh, of light over there that looks like it might be an opportunity. Perhaps I need to go and seize it. 
building on what Lisa said, if the Tories don't throw anything at it, then that probably says almost a lot more than if they do, really, the fact that they they might not have a local infrastructure. We have no idea. Like like Lisa said, it's very difficult to win seats. Um, but if they've got no infrastructure, that'll be difficult. But if the Tories do nothing in that seat, I'll be quite surprised. Yeah. And maybe says there's even more chaos in Tory HQ than what we're even seeing. But, Alison? Yeah, I mean, bear in mind that I think, from what I remember, the Conservatives have got a very keen lawyer from Birmingham who's clearly looking for a parliamentary seat. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that is very, if anyone doesn't know that, that is Alison being very, very clever and very funny about the North Shropshire candidate the Tories put up, who actually is based in Birmingham and no doubt did wonderful work to help the Lib Dems succeed. Um, no, but that, I mean, do we, moving on to 2022 and themes that will come up, what will the, where will the Tory party go from here? What do you guys expect? Alison, I'll go to you first now, because do we think they'll go full populist? You know, we've seen bits about court cases. Let's go full on on immigration. Let, or, I mean, some of the papers are going Faragean, as in the kind of, you know, go full Nigel Farage, copy that thing. Get You know, it will annoy some people. It will probably lose the moderate Tories, but actually it might save some red wall seats what are your thoughts I, mean, I think they've been full farage for some time already a number of years in fact um the thing that i found interesting this week that i picked up um was a thread on twitter by robert saunders who whose handle is at red historian and he talks about whether net zero skepticism is going to be the new dividing line in the right um the thread's worth looking up but he makes the point that uh, up to date, the Conservative Party's enthusiasm for net zero has kind of been held together by loyalty to Johnson and because of the presidency of COP. And that's now been and gone. And so last week we saw Lee Anderson, who's the Tory MP for Ashfield in Nottinghamshire, um, have a piece in the Daily Mail um, talking about my voters don't care about COP. They just care about their gas bills. Um, and we know that there is a net zero scrutiny group amongst the Conservative backbenchers, which is basically a load of names we're quite familiar with from the ERG. Um, and I think that's a really interesting idea about whether there will be that, that scepticism about net zero. And actually, you know, fuel's getting too expensive. You know, maybe we need to just make sure people can heat their homes. Um, and I think we, as people who are very passionate about the environment, need to be very careful about that and not just think it's a load of cranks in the sidelines because I think it will play into the scepticism of quite a broad number of voters in in the country at large. Yeah, Lisa, I mean, that's interesting. As a, as a parliamentary candidate, uh, Lisa, and if for all those who are listening, think Lisa's interview for her because she's now been selected as the parliamentary candidate again to fight Hazel Grove. So her, her one-to-one interview with me it has been recorded and is in the pipeline to be released. So make sure you subscribe and catch that as soon as it comes out. But as a parliamentary candidate, we have seen the green issue green issues becoming far more prominent each general election. I think for the first time, I think it was in the top five in 2019 in terms of issues people most care about. Um, the, if the Tories do decide to think, you know, very like, like um, Alison has just said, actually, we don't believe in this green crap kind of phrase that they've had in the past. Is that an even bigger opportunity for the Lib Dems? I think it could be. 
we have to remember that the Conservative Party will do what's in the best interest of the Conservative Party. And if focus groups and polling tells them that being on one side of this debate is right for them or the other side of this debate is right for them in electoral terms, then that's where they will be overall and they'll make sure it happens. I think there will there is scepticism amongst many Conservatives about is climate change real? Is it man-made? Is there something we can do about it? And I think there is a mismatch between many members of the public who can see for themselves that something that was a one in a hundred year flooding event is now a one in eight years flooding event. And they can see for themselves the effect. And it something that had been theoretical is now very practical and it's impacting them and their lives and the way and their homes. If the public and particularly the voters, not just the public, but the public who vote, think that taking action to tackle climate change is important and it will sway their votes, then the Conservative Party manifesto at the next general election will say something reassuring enough on that so that they can appease both the donors, whether they earn money from fossil fuel extraction or not, and their voters, they will triangulate in a way that, frankly, only the Conservative Party seem able to do. So do we think then... Because there's obviously a, a huge crisis coming. I don't know if any of you watched Newsnight last night, and we're recording this on on Friday evening, when Newsnight did a, a huge, uh, brilliant piece all about energy prices and what that will mean. And and Ben Chu's, I mean, it, it is absolutely terrifying to say an average household bill for the year will go from eight hundred to two thousand is truly scary stuff for a lot of families. I mean, that is, that is when that hits in April, along with national insurance rises as well, that will be in, well, it'll be catastrophic for some people and we shouldn't minimise actually the very, very real consequences, potentially even people suffering very ill health from it. Will the Tories stick by that? Because I have a little feeling now that the, the, this particular government is very good at holding out until the, the, the roar of, of discontent gets so loud and then they switch. Will this be another thing in which they switch? And is this the first time where we've got to stuff about the energy crisis and people are thinking, well, you know, we should be insulating our homes more. We should be, you know, we should be more energy efficient. We should now have greater reliability on homegrown renewable fuels rather than just cut VAT on bills or whatever. And actually we need a longer term strategy for energy um, kind of independence within the country. Alison? Yeah. Um, I mean, clearly, what the opportunity to act was probably a decade ago. And, um, you know, the Cameron government commissioned the report about what they should do about fuel security. And then um, my understanding is that Theresa May put it on the shelf and just didn't want to go there with it. So the steps haven't been taken that needs to be taken a number of years ago. And now we're presented with you know, some really scary statistics. And you've got people like Martin Lewis on his programme, you know, tweeted last night that he was almost in tears at the end of the programme because there were callers who need his help and he hasn't got a solution for them. It's, you know, there's not a better switch and save message that you can get anymore. Um, do I think the Conservative Party will hold the line until the last minute? Possibly. I mean, they might see, you know, the, <laughs> the, which way this is going. But what do you think? I suppose the question, I'll put the question back to you and Lisa. What do you think they'll, they'll want to change? Will they want to cut that national insurance increase? 
um, that's hitting working families? Or do they want to sort of do something that, you know, maybe is more progressive and looks at, you know, the broader population? I have no idea what's on Lisa's leaflets, but the leaflets I've just got printed and getting de uh, delivered have got that sign, you know, highest tax burden since the 1950s. And you know that is really painful to the Tories. They, they won't like that. So I can right. see them desperately trying, if they can find a way of easing that or allowing Rishi to, to row back on that, I think they might. Um, but I, I, something will have to get done because... Unfortunately, I mean, I know the rise happens in April. Hopefully the weather started getting warmer, but there'll be a lot of really vulnerable people that will uh, survive. And I do like Boris Johnson at Prime Minister's Questions and Angela Rayner taking credit. Uh, I think it was the winter fuel allowance, which started in 1988. Was it, or, 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 whichever, or was it the warm homes? I can't remember. It was one of the two, but it started in 1988. And that and yet but Boris was properly claiming it and said, we have done this, so, as, as Boris tends to do. There was a cracking splash on the front of, I think it was the Telegraph today, following some Lib Dem research about the impact of freezing the bans, freezing the tax bans, the income tax bans, so that before you're a higher rate payer and how many more people that would bring in because of the cost of living uh, crisis, I guess we'd call it, um, cost of living changes and inflation. And there's some really interesting... So there are big problems coming. I didn't see Newsnight, but I absolutely recognise some of the things you're you're talking about, John and Alison. And I think some of the challenges that this presents also presents opportunities for campaigners. So alongside trying to help our communities to cope with these cost of living rises, the challenges when it comes to energy bills and so on, as campaigners, we need to think, how can we improve the lives of our communities that we're seeking to represent whilst also campaigning um, as Liberal Democrats. And so it, bringing all of those together presents both challenges and opportunities, but bigger challenges for our communities than anything else. I'm going to bring in e an even bigger Lib Dem kind of point, which was actually one of the things when we talked about big ideas uh, in the, the episode just gone was where Lib Dem should go. And it was really interesting that they, they talked about proportional representation as a, not just as a point of, you know, Lib Dems always love it. It's very what no one else cares about, proportional representation kind of thing but us. But actually, I think the opportunity with such a, a, the amount of sleaze and cronyism going on, the idea, and I think Mark said it, that proportional representation is probably the biggest single thing we can do to improve our politics. And actually, I wonder how hard Lib Dems, and Lisa, you don't have to mention this because I know you're on the federal campaigns uh, committee, but how hard Lib Dems are going to push that in the next election because it's something, if we don't shout about it now, then when are we going to shout about it? Yeah, I, I mean, it, PR is one of the reasons I joined the Liberal Democrats because, you know, 10 years ago, I moved from Guildford, which is a marginal seat, um, to Arundel and South Downs, which is a very, very safe conservative seat. And I've been in the house a few days, and I thought, oh, I'll just look up who my new MP was, and realised he had a 26,000 majority. Mm. And if I'd happened to have bought a house about two miles away in Lewis constituency, incredibly marginal constituency, and the injustice of a system where the political parties will pile thousands of pounds into my vote two miles away in Lewis compared to never bothering in Arundel and South Downs is so, so very deeply wrong on so many levels. Um, 
you know, that, that was one of the sort of prompts that, you know, got me, you know, into the party thinking I had to do something about it. Um, so I passionately believe in the value of proportional representation. But the problem is in the population at large, most people don't think about politics like I do. I recognise that me thinking about this is not typical or particularly normal. And they don't understand voting systems. And a lot of people don't understand why first past the post is so problematic and delivers awful results that don't represent what people want. Um, so in terms of it being you know, a campaigning issue for us, I do doubt whether it really cuts through. But it isn't that the way we present it. So we don't talk. You don't talk about it in terms of oh, let's change the system. Let's change the voting system. You know, we are, you know, we actually go for STV rather than the alternative <laughs> or whatever. No one will care. Absolutely, no one will care or even know. Um, but if we say actually, it's making sure your MPs have to work harder than they can't take you for granted. They have to listen to what you say rather than the party. It's how we frame that argument. Are you skeptical either way, Lisa? How many doors have you knocked on, John, in the last 12 months where PR has come up? Everyone. Every single one. Yeah, <laughs> so I, I am a firm believer that the voting system has to change. The one we've got at the moment is rubbish and it makes our politics worse, which makes the lives of the people we seek to represent worse because it means that we fight about things that under PR we wouldn't fight about. It means that parties are not incentivized to work together. It, it, there's just so many problems with it and if we fixed it we'd fix lots of the problems with politics not all of them of course not but lots of them so I'm I'm strongly with Alison on the need for electoral reform that said do I think it should be item one on the front of the manifesto as we go into the next general election no no I don't do I think we should be talking with people about the things they care about and the things that they can see impact their lives, you know, the cost of childcare, the cost of heating, um, opportunities for young people, all of those things. Should we be talk listening to what they're telling us and, and suggesting the liberal answers to the questions they ask? Yes. Do we know that part of that is PR or electoral reform or whatever we call it? Yes. But do we just want to talk to people about things we care about? Or do we actually want to talk to people about the stuff they care about, which is the evidence might suggest is a more effective electoral strategy? What would you say is the next big theme that the Lib Dems need to get through? Because obviously we've done a lot on caring in 2021. That has been very much the focal point of Ed. It's really much, it's, it's his background, it's his life. So, but what do you think, will that, what's the next thing? What's 2022 going to hold for the Lib Dems? I, will it be cost of living? Ed's been talking a lot about wanting to focus on education and how he talked about that in his conference speech in, was it September, October? He's talked about, I've heard him talk about that um, in a number of other uh, settings. He's talked about how we need to be the answer, the champion for parents and how there isn't at the moment, you know, the Labour Party is the champion for the teaching unions Conservatives are the champion for people who think more Latin needs to be in, in our schools at the expense of, I don't know, playing, teamwork, whatever. Um, we need to be the, the voice of parents. And I've heard him say that very convincingly. So my guess 
is we'd make our leader very happy if we talked a lot more about education. Just as an aside, the number of people who are education professionals or retired teachers who are also Liberal Democrat members is staggering as a percentage and who think, uh, who believe passionately that we should be talking about education a lot more than we do. Because if you fix that, so as somebody who's been a school governor for 16 years, primary school governor, if you fix education, so many of the other problems we face as a country, yeah, okay, not in a, in a fortnight, but over a generation or two, you impact those issues that affect us as a society. Yeah, and you put you put those changes in place, and then they're not in place for 18 months, they're in place for, you know, 15 years or something, and actually, then you start to see change. But the problem, it's true for a lot of different areas of policy, isn't it? that it's all done on driven by electoral cycles and it's a year of this and a year of that and so on. So no, totally agree, Lisa. Um, I mean, the thing, uh, and I don't think Lisa will thank me for saying this, I know she's not a fan, but planning has got to be a huge issue, um, particularly in the southeast of England where I am. Um, there are huge, huge housing targets that, you know, top-down driven and trying to be met. But I look at what's being delivered in my rural ward, which is half in a national park and half out of a national park, and we are building rubbish. You know, mm. with, aside from the building regs that say it's fine to fit in brand new houses without solar panels and no gas boiler uh, and with gas boilers, um, just the the quality of what gets built is awful. The snagging, the distress it's caused to people who've just bought their dream home. And then the kind of broader sort of landscaping, drainage, flooding problems that come from that, just so depressing, so depressing. And we need to be delivering affordable homes for people. But actually, what's happening at the moment uh, isn't actually achieving that goal. House prices are just going up and up and up. And I think that's true across the country, not just in, in my property hotspot in the southeast. So just to contextualise Alison's outrageous assertion that I'm not a fan of talking about planning, um, <laughs> there is a very specific meeting of Liberal Democrat councillors where if allowed, if not structured and guided sufficiently, would spend hour after hour talking about planning. That's fair. Um, that is um, fair. As much as I enjoy it, and, I, you know, I do as uh, in, in the way that all Liberal Democrat councillors love talking about planning issues, I'm keen that we occasionally cover other topics as well. So just to just to <laughs> clarify that I'm not anti-planning, just planning in moderation, maybe. And I think one of the things that came up, because we were asked questions uh, when we asked viewers for questions for Mike, planning did come up. And it was the question about whether, particularly in regards to Cheshire and Amersham, I think a lot of members got the wrong end of the stick here. And as someone who's been, I say, a council for a long time, said, oh, are we just a NIMBY party? That Then that even came up in what we could, could ask Mike, Mark and Ed. And what people don't realise is we're not saying no to houses, but there's still going to be the right sort of houses in the right places. Otherwise, as Alison said, they don't. it doesn't fix any of the problems that are going on. So if, like I said, I've got a massive housing expansion in my patch in northwest Preston. And actually, or the numbers-wise, I have absolutely no problem. But if they're causing localised flooding because they're built crap or they've built a, ma a metre higher than everything else, they have very serious concerns that if they don't rectify it, I'm not going to be in favour of it. And, and I think that is sometimes the issue, that it's very easy to say, oh, just build everything. We need young people to have houses. But are the houses that are getting built 
going to be the ones that young people buy. But that's we will end planning there, Alicia. Don't worry, that's that's it done. So we asked um, we asked the three guys, and we'll round up this conversation. Um, we said, okay, what is the weirdest, most annoying thing about the party? Uh, and actually, there were you, we mentioned Mark's uh, chat about you know people who can be very small C conservative in the ways, but want a, a radical change. What was interesting, I thought, was Ed Davies' point about some people want us to be almost like a think tank rather than actually a, a campaigning force for good and change. And I, I found that really refreshing for Ed to say. Uh, and I do sometimes think people want to sit on the sidelines and chirp rather than get on get on and deliver those focus leaflets that will make a difference. So we'll start with you, Alison. What 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 things do you think we could use with changing within the Lib Dems this year? <laughs> well, I totally agree with, with Ed on that. Um, so having joined the Lib Dems in a totally safe conservative area in 2015, uh, and everybody said you live in a village that's only ever been conservative in living memory, you know, you're kind of wasting your time. Um, my resolve was to just start sticking leaflets out and, you know, my friends of mine said, oh, I'll deliver some leaflets down my road. So I built that delivery network from scratch and I had to make a conscious decision. Actually, I haven't got the luxury of getting involved in policy. I'm going to have to trust that there are people who are really into policy who are going to come up with the right policies and I will concentrate on trying to learn as much as I can about how to campaign and how to win. Um, because I don't really want to spend the next 30 years sitting on policy formulation committees and never getting elected. So, um, so come 2019, having been told by the local Conservative District Councillor um, that they could put um, a rosette on a monkey and they'd get in, um, I unseated him. Uh, and that was because I decided not to think about policy and to think about campaigning. And that's, you know, that's my, <laughs> my big raison d'etre at the moment. But, you know, constantly trying to improve my policy knowledge too. This is why we love Alison and we're very happy that Alison got herself elected. So <laughs> I, I'm similar, actually. You know, we're not, we're not a campaign, we're not an advocacy group. We're not the Electoral Reform Society. If, if that's what you really care about and all that you care about, they exist, go and join them, be part of their... Uh, work. We're also not a, a think tank, Ed's right, and I've said that many times before, we're a political party and we exist to fight and win elections, that is the entire purpose of our being, and I think sometimes we forget that when we're setting up a subcommittee to decide the terms of reference for a working group that's going to look at a task force to do something, just every layer of bureaucracy and uh, internal democracy and governance when actually we know what Mike said was we know what works and yet we do an awful lot of other stuff as well and that I find that weird and I find that odd because I'm really keen to get Lib Dems elected because I see the difference that elected Lib Dems make to their communities and I want there to be more of them. Quick fire question will there be a general election this year yes or no? No. No. Will Lisa already answered this? Alison, will Boris Johnson be Prime Minister by Christmas? Possibly not. Maybe in the summer he might go. Okay. Who who takes over from Boris Johnson, Lisa? Well, I don't know. So there, a number of them are, are courting Conservative members because it's nothing to do with the country. It's about who can court the membership. And so Liz Trust seems to be doing very well, which just so many people find. Just, uh, I'm thinking of a polite word to use. Let's say extraordinary. People find that extraordinary. 
Yeah, and we, we drink um, Rishi's. Sorry, John, I'll shut up. <laughs> no, no, no. I was trying to do the Liz Truss kind of, the, you know, the meme that's out there of her saying, "Some Jesus come from France. This is a disgrace." But anyway, God, you were going to make, make a serious point, Alison. Yeah. Oh well, kind of. Um, no, Rishi Sunak came to Sussex yesterday. Uh, he went over to Lewis to meet up with Mary Caulfield to trumpet how amazingly they've done on their levelling up fund bids. And then, even better, he went to a place in AMT called Clare Hall. And I don't know if anybody briefed him before he went, but Clare Hall's been used as a vaccination centre. But it's only being used as a vaccination centre because um, we had a big hand in preventing the Conservatives from permanently closing it down in 20, let me give me years, 2020. Conservative administration on district council on which I sit wants to close Clare Hall down. Um, and we called it in and then a local action group took them to court and they were kind of forced to sort of not permanently close it down and do a proper public consultation. Um, and then it's become a vaccination centre. So uh, the joy of yesterday was seeing the Chancellor of the Exchequer go, it's amazing to see all the vaccinations taking place at this hall. And obviously he didn't mention that his own party have tried to be close it down for over a year. Wonderful. See, so far, Alison, you've been on, you've talked about, you know, properly campaigning and about campaigning successes. If you keep this up, we'll have to make you a full-time regular on the podcast. <laughs> no, but no, but thank you both for coming on. So I think that will probably do for our reaction of our reaction to what the, the guy said. And also some of the stuff that's come up in recent weeks, like I say this new story about the energy crisis isn't going far away. The Tory leadership, uh, shenanigans is going to roll on. Interesting enough, again, and this isn't a plug for Newsnight, although it is my favourite current affairs show. They did, again, they talk about that. Apparently Liz Truss is working like the devil behind the scenes, while Rishi's not doing much. So they're wondering if there's some sort of Rishi will continue on as Chancellor while Liz Truss becomes Prime Minister, which again is a world that you know, every time I think the Tories have hit bottom, it might just get worse, but we'll see. But in the meantime, thank you very much to everyone who's watching and listening to this. Make sure you follow Alison, make sure you follow Lisa, and you can even follow myself on social media as well. You can follow everything to do with the podcast at LibDemPod. Do subscribe to us on YouTube and turn on that bell so you'll get a notification. You can listen to us on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or anywhere you get podcasts. But we're always happy for you guys to listen, to comment, and interact with us. And a special thank you to our Patreon subscribers who do help us keep the show going by donating a little money every month. So thank you very much, everyone. And we will be back with another episode very soon.